And we're going to read verses 1 through to 16. If you are a visitor here with us this morning, uh, just to let you know that we do follow a series of Bible talks in this place. Uh, for example, in the mornings we're going through um, the book of Ephesians. And in the evenings uh, we are going through a series of talks on uh, 1 Corinthians. So um, that's how we operate our, our, our studies here in this place. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through to 16. We do encourage you, I know that we have it on PowerPoint as well, uh, but I do encourage you, if you can, to please also look at your Bibles as well to read God's Word this morning. Let me read the Word of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended in is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the, water, by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Well, let me pray, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your inspired word. We thank you that it speaks to our hearts. And this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would minister to each of our hearts as we look at what it means to be built up in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as I mentioned uh, this morning, we continue our series of studies on the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, but it's also perhaps a circular letter uh, that goes out to Christians in the region. Uh, Paul, as chapter 1, speaks of the calling that God has called people from eternity. It deals with the topic of election, predestination, having called us in Christ. In chapter 2, he speaks about the amazing work of God's grace, uh, that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, a very important Christian teaching on the subject of grace. Uh, chapter 3, he speaks about what it means of the mystery 
that is to be revealed, that is that now the gospel has gone out to both Jews and Gentiles, the mystery that was once hidden, now revealed in Christ, we have one body, people from every tribe, nation, language, are now one in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, he elaborates and goes on to practical application of what he has said in chapters 1 to 3. That is, now that you've heard these things, now go and practice this. And so we have seen this uh, last week as well, the topics of unity in Christ. And today we're going to build up on that theme as well. Uh, We saw last Sunday the gifts that God has given to his church, that Jesus, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts, good gifts, uh, for the work of the gospel in the church. In fact, there were five specific gifts, if I can quickly recap. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. They were given for a purpose, that was to equip his people for works of service. And the reason for this was for the building up of the body of Christ. Every believer in Christ has a gift Did you know that? I'm sure you do. If you're a Christian here this morning, then you have indeed a spiritual gift that God has given to you. And each believer plays a part in the body of Christ, the church. Uh, We are to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us to build the body of Christ. The Apostle uh, Peter says this in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift... What is it? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now you might ask the question, Chris, how do I know my gifts? Now this is not the place to deal in, uh, go into all of that uh, this morning, but Dr. Montgomery Boyce, speaking on the topic, finding your gift, gives four helpful principles in how to find your gift. One, he says, begin by studying what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. That's number one. Begin by studying what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. Secondly, he says, you must pray. There must be soul-searching prayer before God and asking him to reveal by his word as well what this gift really is. Thirdly, he says, you can make a sober assessment of your spiritual strengths and abilities by the natural understanding that God has given you, as well as applying spiritual wisdom. And fourth, seek the wisdom of other Christians where your gifts are concerned. Talk to one another. Ask them, what do you think my gift is? Is there any spiritual gift that God has given me that you see in my life? So that I can use it for the body of Christ. I thought that's four very important, very helpful uh, principles that we have. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at our text here today as we work through chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to pick up from verse 13 until we all reach unity in the faith. So we're going to look at the goal, the result and the growth that we have here. Verse 13, 14, 15, 16, which is our text for this morning. Paul says here, in fact, let me pick up from 12b, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And then he continues on and he says this, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Friends, isn't that a loaded statement there? <laughs> That's one message, I think, just on that one verse. Okay? Until we all reach unity in the faith. This is not an individualistic focus. There is a corporate element to our growth. The church, the body of Christ, grows together. And we see a fourfold purpose here, don't we? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what are we to say the first one? All reach unity in the faith. Let me say this. The word faith here is not, I believe, a reference to what we might call saving faith. Saving faith is what we see in Ephesians chapter 2. For you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Okay, now not exactly the words alone, but through faith in Christ. The word grace is used here. That is saving faith. Where God saves a person and gives that person salvation. John Newton wrote the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is saving faith. That God has saved you. That's saving faith. I think the word that is used, I think the reference here is, in my understanding, it is about objective faith. It is a reference to the body of truth or Christian doctrine, which is the apostolic teaching that has been passed down. Uh, Jude 3, we read these words. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to, what is it? To contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. We are to hold up the faith. And what is this faith? What do you think this faith is? Well, let me just highlight some of the key fundamental truths of the Christian faith with our, which are non-negotiables. Alright? There are some things that we simply do not negotiate. You might, dis, you might have different views about baptism. You might have different views about music. You might have different views about how we do church. But there are some things that we must stand united with. Well, one, we believe that God is our creator. Is that correct? <laughs> right? We believe that God is our creator. God has created us in his image. He has made us male and female. Men and women. Adam was, in a sense, lonely, but we wouldn't say completely, but God, in his sovereign grace, provided Eve. And when Adam saw Eve, he went into singing. Now, any husbands here, do you sing for your wives? Try it. It might work, or they might run away from you. Right? Adam sang, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He, he was he was really amazed that God has created this beautiful creature, this, this beautiful woman for, for him. God created male and female, man and woman. All right? And then he instituted 
the whole thing of marriage in Genesis chapter 3 and we see all of those things coming through. God as our creator. We believe in the sinfulness of mankind that Adam and Eve sinned against God and therefore the entire human race has been plunged into sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are conceived in sin. Okay? We believe in the miracle. I'm just giving you some highlights here. We believe in the miracle of the incarnation of Jesus. That is, God became flesh. Did you? That he left heaven and came upon this earth. And on that first Christmas, the miracle of the incarnation. Jesus, the sinless son of God. We believe in the supernatural acts of Jesus. His miracles, which we certainly believe and accept. We believe in the sinless, sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We believe in the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father in heaven. We believe that salvation is through faith in Christ plus works. I'm testing you. Yes or no? No. Let's be very clear. It's Christ alone. Okay? We believe that. And we believe that Jesus will return one day. And we believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God for faith and for practice. There are some of the fundamentals that cannot change, that must not change. This is what we are, what, what, what Jude would talk about, contending for the faith, the body of truth. These are essential pillars. Brothers and sisters, young people here this morning, do not change and try to, try to move the post. These are fundamentals, okay? You come to a Presbyterian church here at St. Stephen's, you should be able to know these things by now. These are non-negotiables. These are essentials. These are fundamentals of your faith, correct? Because if we mess around with this, if we mess around with these important aspects of our fundamental doctrine, we will fall, friends, for anything that will go around. That's what Paul is coming out onto this. The church cannot be weak on such crucial and fundamental truths. And in my view, if the church departs from such truths, it ceases to be a true church of Jesus Christ where he is the head. The church cannot and should not depart from the essentials of the faith. And if you look at the history of the church, then what happens is theological liberalism creeps in and then there are major issues. Speaking of uh, liberalism, this is what uh, Dr. Asis Proud says. Liberalism stands in every generation as a flat rejection of the faith. It must not be viewed as a simple subset or denominational impulse of Christianity. It must be seen for what it is, the antithesis of Christianity based on a complete rejection of the biblical Christ and his gospel. Do you see that? And so when you go to a church or when you listen to a talk, what do you do? You come out, say, from some service, 
Or you go to a funeral service and you hear a little talk being said, a nice pep talk. What do you come out and say? That's a lovely little talk. Do you actually analyze what has been said? Do you actually see what, what the message was based on? You see, do you detect liberalism in some shape or form? Whoever preaches here on this pulpit has the responsibility to bring God's word to you. In the Presbyterian church system, the minister is responsible for anyone who mounts this pulpit. And if there's a problem with the preacher, then guess what? It's the minister who is held responsible with the presbytery. He's the one who will be charged with any issues that goes on in the pulpits of our church. And so we honor God's word here. And we thank God for the people in our church who do so, honoring the word of God. So unless we are well grounded in our faith, friends, we will not be able to recognize false doctrine. So, so important. Hold on to objective faith. Is that clear? Because there's so much going around. And if you don't hold on to this, we can fall. Then he says, grow on in the knowledge of the, of the Son of God as well. See, unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It is getting to know Jesus for who he is. Here again he says, knowledge in the Son of God. Look at your text. He begins by the focus here on the Son of God. That he is God in the flesh. We confess Jesus Christ to be the God who was promised, the Savior was promised in the Old Testament. We confess that Jesus is being being at the same time fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. You see that? <laughs> right? uh, the Gospel of John, for example, opens with the declaration of the deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when Jehovah's Witnesses come to you, to your place, and they knock on your door, what do they say? Is Jesus actually God? No, no, he's not. Have you had those encounters? Right? They're going along with their bags. And they start talking along. And what do you say then? You need to know that Jesus is God in the flesh. 100% man, 100% God. We won't go into all the Christology here this morning. This is the objective facts about Jesus. Growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, Paul, writing to the Philippians, says this. I want to know whom? Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Jesus. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul was a man who had two PhDs in theology. By the time they estimate, he was 21 years of age. If he was here today, he probably has two PhDs at the age of 21. A man who had incredible insight. And yet Paul says, I want to know Jesus. And how do you think you get to know Jesus? He's talking here to Christians, right? First thing, God reveals himself to you, you become a Christian. Secondly, how do you get to know Jesus? Have you thought about that? It's trusting it's getting to know him. It's getting to understand who he is. It's getting into a relationship because you're growing in your faith and you're saying, Lord, I want to know you better. 
none of us can say, I have reached complete understanding of Jesus. Have you? No. It is getting to know this Lord. It is getting to know Him. It is getting to trust Him. It is getting to journey with Him. It is getting to know this God who journeys with you in your ups and in your downs, in your down valley moments and in your mountaintop experiences. To know Jesus. And friends, it is coming and saying, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to understand you better. I want to get to know you at a deeper level, not just at the superficial level. I want to really, really, really get to know you. And how do you do that? How do you get to know someone? <laughs> By spending time with a person, right? By meeting up with someone. For those who are married, how do you get to know your your husband or your wife? By sending emails or text messages? Oh, honey, I'm coming home at this time. Have the dinner ready for me. Or you might communicate from one room to the other on a phone. I don't know. You would want to spend time with that person. If you are, if you are going out with somebody, you're dating someone, you would want to get to know that person, right? You want to spend time with that person. As a parent, you want to get to know your child. And those of us who have children, and you have Three, four kids, every child is different. Correct? Or moms and dads. Right? <laughs> if you have one child, well, that's one child. If you have two, three, four children, you'll, every, every kid is different. You are not how to handle this child this way and that child that way and the other child the other way. Because their temperaments are different. Their styles are different. And how do you get to know your child? By spending some time with that child. <laughs> so similarly, friends, we get to know this Jesus by... By, by trusting, by knowing Him. You just, the, the church can do only so much. You come here on Sundays and you listen to sermons and you go to growth groups, but the rest of the week, what happens? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Get to know this Lord. Growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Getting to understand Him. It is both head and heart knowledge. Getting to know the Son of God personally as a, at a deeper level as your Savior. So that Jesus will be at home in your life. Becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To, to, to mature manhood, that's the word that is used here. To mature manhood, the point here is like a mature adult as opposed to infants. As, as one writer puts it, to grow in Christ-likeness. The church, the body of Christ together collectively growing and becoming into mature manhood. It is Christians working together for mutual growth. And then, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The, the point here is maturity of this growth. It is Christ-likeness. More, more about Jesus. Remember we sang that hymn? More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his love who died for me. So, brothers and sisters, let us encourage each other in our growth. Let us encourage each other to be part of growth groups in this church. How many growth groups do we have? We have around 12 growth groups, I think. Right? We have an opportunity. It's, it's all listed there. Go in, get in there. Get into a growth group if it's possible for you. I know some of you can't because of age and frailty of health and, all, and, and I understand all of that. But if you can, get into a growth group. 
Get into part of the ministry dynamic of this church. So that together you are contributing and you are growing and we are growing together as the family of God. Don't you see that? So that here at St. Stephen's, you are growing together. And we are saying, Lord, we put you as the number one priority in the ministry dynamic of this church. That is, we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, one prayer I pray for you every time is that this church will be a spiritually healthy church. Right? Because a spiritually healthy church will grow. Correct? (laughs) It will have its challenges, but a church will grow spiritually in Christ. And then, let's keep going on, verse 14, then we no longer be infants tossed to uh, back, back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and notice the, the, what happens here. We're not going to be like infants. We're not going to be tossed back and forth like the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. You see, children are a great joy, aren't they? But they're very busy. You agree? They'll be very busy kids. You are, if you're a parent of young kids, you know what I'm saying, right? Your house will be messy. There'll be things thrown from this place to the other place. They'll be playing one moment with something and the next moment they're somewhere else. Right? They'll be playing with a Barbie doll here and it's a boy, he'll be playing with his trucks here and there'll be trucks left here and cars left there and Barbie dolls left there and mom and dad have to go and pack the whole thing up. And at the end of the day you think, whoa, what has happened here? Right? They won't usually sit there for a while. They'll be moving from one thing to another. Generally speaking, kids, their attention span is kind of short. Maybe some of them, generally speaking, I'm not saying all of them are. And so they move from one thing to another. They are moving. They are being tossed from this place to another. All right, parents, you know that, right? You know the feeling? Do you pack up after your kids? <laughs> Even teenage kids, we've got to do that, isn't it? Pack up their stuff that's left around the place as well. You see what I'm saying here, right? That children are being... Paul says this. Don't be like infants, like children tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So know your scriptures. Know your word. Stand up for it. Test the teaching against God's word. Don't be tossed around. The focus here is on maturity. Instead, Paul says as we move on, speaking the truth in love, we will go to become in every respect the mature body of him, verse, verse 15 and 16. From him the whole body joined and held together. See, truth is important. In fact, the translation can be literally said, read as this. It's a participle that's used there. So it is truth in, in love. Alright? The combination of both these words mean living the truth as well as practicing the truth in love. It includes maintaining and doing the truth. There is no specific reference to speech, that is, speaking the truth in love as in confronting somebody in love. I think the context here tells us it is upholding the truth of God's word in the life of the church and teaching that word in love. Not in arrogance. Truth and love, essential aspects of the church. And we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of, of, of him who is the head, that is Christ. And notice verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in... What is it? Verse 16. 
A very key word there. It is built up in in love. The image here is of the human body. Friends, the human body is amazingly created by God. Every part of the body plays a part. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everyone plays a part in that body. In, in this body. If, if my eye was to say, I'm going on strike, Chris. Both eyes were going to go, say, get up in the morning, your eyes say, well, or say my mouth says, I'm on strike today, Chris, on Sunday. <laughs> well, two things will happen. One, I won't be here because I can't speak to you. <laughs> and secondly, I'll, not, I'll be doing this. Once, you know, I, I lost my voice for a few days. It was, a, it, was, it was not the best thing to happen. But it was nice in one way. I could sit at the chair and do this to Rose. And, you know, it's just, it's just good for a few days to have, do this and everything is applied to you. It doesn't work always. <laughs> right? But you know what I mean, right? If, if, if your mouth goes on strike, some others will say, man, that's good because the chatterbox has stopped talking. But if your eyes say, well, I'm not the mouth, so I'm going to strike today, Chris. Imagine that. The body is made up of all parts, as Greg read today. And every part contributes. The mouth's busy, the eyes are busy, everything is doing its part. And so the bottom line of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 passage we read is that every part plays, every, every part in the body plays a significant part for the body to function. This body has to function. And so in the Christian church as well, every part has a function. You might have one gift, somebody has another gift, and everyone contributes. Why? So the body of Christ is being built up in love. That's how Christ sees it. And then Paul says, who is built up in Christ, who is the head. See, let me refer very quickly to our statement of purpose here at St. Stephen's. Did you know that? Our purpose statement. By God's grace and for his glory, we exist to equip Christians to worship, God, worship and serve God. What else? Develop them to Christ-like maturity. Help them fulfill their life mission in the church and the world. Lead people to Jesus and membership in a caring and loving family. Reach Surrey Hills and beyond for Christ. That's our purpose statement. We worked on this statement for some time, about seven, eight years ago as a church, as a session. We want to equip Christians. We want to help Christians worship and serve God. We want to see Christians develop to Christ-like maturity. And Paul says this happens as Christ is the head and he holds everything, the ligaments and everything in this body and he builds this body up in love. That's a beautiful picture here, friends. It is Christ who is building his church in the end. Notice that verse 16, very clearly it states there, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every support and ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Who is the head of this church? Come on. Who is the head of the church? Who is the head of this church, St. Stephen's? Christ is. Exactly right. Christ is the head of this church. We are just stewards here. As John prayed this morning, we are here today and gone tomorrow. I'll be gone, somebody else will be here in this pulpit. You look at the past photos of all our pastors who have been here in this congregation. The photos are in the back there. 
will be gone. But Christ is the head of the church. He is the one who must direct the affairs of this church, correct? And we as God's people, we prayed this morning before we came here, Lord, keep us humble so that we will lead your people as Christ is the head of this church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are under him. He is the Lord. This church belongs to him. So in summary, as we close, this morning we have seen the challenge to be built up in Christ in corporate unity. We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole mission of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow in Christ as a church family, doing so in love with Jesus as our head who holds the body together. In conclusion, I trust that as his people here at St. Stephen's, that we will continue to be a church family that is built up in Christ. Correct? Right? Trust in Jesus as the head of his church to lead us on in our Lord. Placing our total trust and our confidence in Christ alone as our Redeemer and our Savior. This morning, if you don't know this Savior, if you don't know this Redeemer, then I encourage you to come to this Savior today. Confess your sin to him. Ask the Lord to come into your life to make you a new person so that you can also be part of the body of Christ where Christ is the head and you are serving him. There will be people up here after the service. Please come and join them for prayer and they will certainly pray for you and with you. Amen. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O oh Lord, this morning that you would help us to be built up in Christ, to grow and to become mature in our Lord. We pray for new Christians here this morning, for those who are growing in their newfound faith, for all of us in the different stages of our journey, spiritual journey with you, Lord. We pray that together as your people here, we will grow in Christ, built up in Christ, to be strong believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask your rich blessing upon your people here, as you are the head of this church, the church universal. We submit ourselves totally, fully, and utterly to Christ alone. Amen. Uh, we are going to sing this wonderful.